A bombshell new report from the inspector general vindicates President Trump against the mainstream media's horrendous lie last year. Remember this? Claiming that President Trump's administration tear-gassed peaceful protesters in Lafayette Square for a photo op. Well, turns out that was always a malicious lie. Plus, the journalist who broke the Clinton, Bill Clinton, Loretta Lynch tarmac story in 2016, he suddenly committed suicide. And MSNBC's resident nutcase, Joy Reid, says without critical race theory, public schools would teach that slavery wasn't so bad. And the reality of minimum wage that the left won't tell you. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, speaking of bad faith actors who can't be trusted, uh, let me talk to you about how I secure myself online. I'm talking about ExpressVPN. We need to keep ourselves safe online. There are a lot of things, for example, that I search for. I'm sure it's the same for you. You search for online that aren't anybody's business. Incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. It actually doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Creepy, right? your internet service provider can still see every single website that you've ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Because internet service providers in the United States can not only track the websites you visit, they can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app, however, that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites you visit. That's more like it. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. And it's super easy to operate. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. That's it. So protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz, expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more and keep yourself safe online. It's what I do. It's what you should do too. So this ranks up there as one of the most insane and destructive lies that the mainstream media peddled in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election last year. The mainstream media did not miss the mark on this story. This was not a mistake. The mainstream media didn't just get the facts wrong, fudge it up. No, this is deliberate, malicious, partisan propagandizing, an attack on you really a sustained effort to brainwash you. So we all remember the violent Black Lives Matter riots that happened across the country last year. In the wake of this, especially in Washington, D.C., the mayor of Washington, D.C., actually, on that day, had issued a curfew of 7 p.m. After the violent Black Lives Matter riots, President Trump spoke in the Rose Garden outside the White House. Right, he talked about law and order, he talked about unity, and after he spoke, he walked through Lafayette Square outside the White House and he walked to St. John's Church, the Church of Presidents, it's called. Okay? On June 1st, 2020, this is the same day, the New York Times tweeted the following video. Listen. So with that video, this is what the New York Times captioned the tweet. They said, this was the scene outside of the White House on Monday as police used tear gas and flash grenades to clear out peaceful protesters so President Trump could visit the nearby St. John's Church, where there was a parish house basement fire Sunday night, end quote. Accompanying that video and that caption 
the video itself got 3.1 million views. That means it was widely viewed all over Twitter, all over the web. It is this tweet, I checked on it today, has no addendum, no update, nothing. It's sitting there. This story, just as reported on the web today, just like it was one year ago, despite the fact that the inspector general says that this is false. False. Police did not use tear gas to clear the park for a photo op of President Trump at St. John's Church. Police cleared the park of non-compliant protesters in order to install a fence that had been in the plans for two days because the rioters were violent. And yet the New York Times didn't retract this. So my question to the New York Times, will you retract this lie? Or are you going to continue to propagate fake news? Remember, nobody in the mainstream media even questioned this narrative as the events unfolded. Even when the Trump administration showed proof, that evidence was rejected. So it showed proof, I should say, that the two events, President Trump going to St. John's Church and the park police clearing Lafayette Square, they were unrelated, unconnected events. Even when the Trump administration showed proof of this, that evidence was rejected. NPR, this is their headline from last year. They said, peaceful protesters tear gassed to clear way for Trump church photo op. I checked that article today. There's no update, no addendum. They are still lying. The New York Times, that was, the tweet is what I talked about a minute ago. Their article, their more in-depth article, I should say, was headlined, protesters dispersed with tear gas so Trump could pose at church. I checked that article today. No update. They're still lying. PBS's Yamish Alcindor reported, falsely of course, quote, that she was still processing what I saw, that I saw peaceful protesters tear gassed outside the White House so President Trump could walk to St. John's Episcopal Church, end quote. I checked that tweet today. No update. She's still lying to you. The Washington Post, they were in on it too. They ran an article headlined, quote, inside the push to tear gas protesters ahead of a Trump photo op. This was a team effort article, by the way. It had like three authors. I checked this article today. No update, no addendum. They're still lying to you. And then we have the cable news networks, MSNBC, ABC, CNN. They all reported that peaceful protesters were tear gassed so President Trump could add a photo op at the church. That's false. The inspector general says that's false. At the time, Kamala Harris was a senator. She wasn't vice president, she was a senator. This is what she said on June 2nd. She said, last night I watched as President Trump having gassed peaceful protesters just so he could do this photo op. Then he went on to tear gas priests who were helping protesters in Lafayette Park, end quote. So then the fact checkers got in on the action. The Washington Post's fact checker, his name is Philip Bump. He actually mocked the Trump administration for denying that he mocked the information that they gave to disprove the mainstream media narrative. He said a recent statement from the Park Police, this was last year, quote, brings the debate to a close as it proves the deployment of security forces using weapons and irritants to clear a peaceful protest so that the president could have a photo op. I checked that article today too. No update. Still lying. Remember, we knew at the time that this narrative from the mainstream media was false. We, at the time we knew it, the Trump administration told us the Park Police were scheduled to erect a fence and it was a coincidence that it coincided with President Trump's photo op. We had data and emails that showed that at the time. Now, one year later, and God knows why it took one year 
for the inspector general to make this report and do this investigation. The bureaucracy of government is the most slow moving, irritatingly slow thing that you've ever heard. The inspector general of the interior department, his name is Mark Lee Greenblatt. This is what he said. This is the findings of their investigation. The evidence did not support a finding that the U.S. Park Police cleared the park on June 1st, 2020, so that then-President Trump could enter the park. He said, the evidence we reviewed showed that the park police cleared the park to allow a contractor to safely install anti-scale fencing in response to destruction of federal property and injury to officers that occurred on May 30th and May 31st, end quote. Do you know what that means? Not only did the Trump administration not tear gas peaceful protesters for a photo op, the purpose of the dispersion was to erect a fence because the Black Lives Matter agitators and thugs were so violent, they were causing destruction to federal property. And the fence had to be erected to secure the area. And then the, the protesters were non-compliant, of course. Surprise, surprise. The same ones that were destroying federal property wouldn't move out of the way so that the federal government could protect federal property. And so they had to be dispersed. So this was not only not President Trump's fault, it was the fault of the Black Lives Matter rioters. This had been in the plans for several days, okay? They knew that this was happening and the park police had this plan in place before they were aware of a presidential visit. This is what they said. The evidence, this is the inspector general. The evidence established that relevant park police officials had made those decisions and had begun implementing the operational plan several hours before they knew of a potential presidential visit to the park, which occurred later that day, end quote. They started the operational plan in the morning on June 1st, approximately 10 a.m. on June 1st, quote, this is the inspector general. We found that by approximately 10 a.m. on June 1st, the park police had already begun developing a plan to clear protesters from the area to enable the contractor to safely install the anti-scale fence, and they didn't know. Quote, further, the evidence showed that the U.S. Park Police did not know about the president's potential movement until mid to late afternoon on June 1st. End quote. This is obviously hours after the operational plan had been put into place. Do you know what this means? The mainstream media are vicious propagandists. They're liars. They're perpetuating fake news. Essentially, it's an attack on your mind. They were trying to indoctrinate you and brainwash you into thinking that the president of the United States at the time, Donald Trump, was using the power of the federal government violently against peaceful citizens. They were doing that. The mainstream media was perpetuating that false narrative because they didn't want President Trump to win. They didn't want you to vote for him. They wanted him to lose. They wanted the Democrat to win. So they lied in the most despicable propaganda effort of last summer. This ranks right up there with COVID-19 for the most despicable narratives coming from the mainstream media. Shame on them. Speaking of fighting the fight, fighting the culture war against these radical leftists, let's talk for a second about the long game. Now, we've known for a long time that America is under siege. We are in a war for the soul of our nation. The new president of the Young America's Foundation, Governor Scott Walker, is launching the long game, a plan to save America as we know it. From big tech kicking people off platforms to cancel culture crazies ruining people's lives to Democrats grabbing every bit of power they can in every circumstance, we're in the middle of a crisis. It's time to play offense and fight back. The left has been attempting to take over our colleges and campuses for decades now. Are we going to let them destroy free speech, 
destroy America's founding values to the point that conservatives can barely even speak on university campuses now. So the long game, spearheaded by Governor Scott Walker and my friends at the Young America's Foundation, is a plan to halt the left's attack on America and reinstill the values of freedom and American greatness in our nation's use. We need this. This is a plan to invest in young people, invest in the culture, invest in academia. To join this important fight to save America, get your free copy of The Long Game and get your free copy of The Long Game. You can go to yaf.org slash long game. yaf.org slash long game. This is a great effort. I talked to Scott Walker about it myself. I really encourage you to get involved. yaf.org slash long game. Okay, so President Trump last year was not only right when he denied that he used tear gas, his administration used tear gas to clear peaceful protesters at Lafayette Square. That was false. President Trump said it was false. Mainstream media contradicted him. Trump was right. Trump then issued a list of things that he was right about that the mainstream media has lied to you about. And it's, it's quite interesting. This is the statement he released. He said, quote, have you noticed that they're now admitting I was right about everything they lied about before the election? President Trump said hydroxychloroquine works. The virus came from a Chinese lab. Hunter Biden's laptop was real. Lafayette Square was not cleared for a photo op. The Russian bounty story was fake. We did produce vaccines before the end of 2020 in record time. Blue state lockdowns didn't work. Schools should be reopened. Critical race theory is a disaster for our schools and our country. Our Southern border security program was unprecedentedly successful." End quote. He is right. Every one of those things. The mainstream media lied. The Democrats ignore. See, this is actually why I think big tech censors President Trump, because they don't want to have the conversation, right? They don't want to say, wait a second, Joe Biden is claiming to be compassionate. Joe Biden is claiming to be compassionate about migrants at the border. What is the result versus President Trump's rhetoric was rougher, yet his policy initiatives really did secure the southern border. So let's talk about the pros and cons. The mainstream media doesn't want to have that conversation. No, no. So they stifle President Trump. They don't allow him to talk on social media. They don't allow the debate, but he was right. This list, I mean, I, I kind of laughed to be honest when I read it because he's correct. The main, and yet nobody holds the mainstream media accountable either. No one holds the Democrats accountable. The mainstream media, I guess, are facing accountability in their own way. They're facing challenges. They're facing new media competitors. It's why CNN is losing what, like 50% of their audience. Why people are turning in droves to shows like mine. But Democrats, elected Democrats, what kind of accountability are they facing for their lies? Vote them out. These people are nuts. Take Ilhan Omar, for example. This woman, a sitting Congresswoman of the United States, compared the United States to the Taliban. I mean, let that sink in. She compared the United States to the Taliban. And then, instead of disavowing her, as the Democrats ought to have done, you any normal person would do, AOC claims that right, the right-wing reaction, the horror that we all should be feeling, is mischaracterizing what Ilhan Omar said. So this, this is what Omar said, and I quote, because I don't, I don't want this to be out of context in any way, shape, or form. These are Omar's words, and I quote, we must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban, end quote. Well, that's pretty hard to understand, isn't it? It's pretty hard to mischaracterize when she literally said, unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. How, how are we misinterpreting that, AOC? This is, what she, this is what AOC said. She said, pretty sick and tired of the constant vilification, intentional mischaracterization, and public targeting of Ilhan 
coming from our caucus, they have no concept for the danger they put her in by skipping private conversations and leaping to fueling targeted news cycles around her. So AOC, by the way, is not just mad at right-wing news outlets, okay? She's mad at Democrats for also holding Ilhan Omar accountable because a few Democrats did say that they clarified. Pelosi said she clarified what Ilhan Omar meant. Here's what it boils down to. Here's the heart of the matter. Ilhan Omar compared the US to the Taliban and yet she still sits on the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House of Representatives. Shame on the Democrats. Shame on Democratic leadership. When Nancy Pelosi was asked about this, she said that Ilhan Omar is a valued member of the Democratic caucus. This is my question to Pelosi. What part of Ilhan Omar in Congress do you find valuable? Her financial scandal? Her possible immigration fraud? Her radical leftism? Her obvious, blatant, disgusting anti-Semitism? Her anti-Americanism? This is gross. Oh, only Pelosi in Congress could get away with this. It is gross that Pelosi does not care about any of that, just as long as Ilhan Omar votes for what Pelosi wants her to vote for. Nobody mischaracterized what Ilhan Omar said. Nobody. The tolerance by the Democrats of anti-Semitism within their party, and now anti-Americanism, is shocking. I'm not trying to be bombastic here. You can see it, you can hear it for yourself. It's shocking. Also shocking, this, this story This story is a real head-scratcher, actually. I, I'm very interested in what your guys' take of this is gonna be. Here's my take of it. So the journalist who broke the story about Bill Clinton meeting with then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch on the tarmac in Arizona, remember that story back in 2016? That journalist committed suicide. Okay, his name was Christopher Sign. He was 45 years old. He was a news anchor in Birmingham, Alabama. He had a wife and three sons. He, he was the one who reported on that story initially. Remember, because Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch, obviously, didn't want that meeting to be public. He broke it. Remember how important this story was. It was devastating for Hillary Clinton in the lead up to uh, the 2016 election. Okay? Devastating. Bill Clinton meets with the chief law enforcement officer in the country at the same time that the FBI is investigating Hillary Clinton for breaking the law, obviously, we all know that she did, even though James Comey didn't want to charge her because he's a smarmy squish. Bill Clinton, her husband, former president, meets with the chief law enforcement officer in the United States while the FBI is investigating Hillary's use of her email server in the middle of a presidential election, okay? This was just a couple of days before James Comey went through that devastating indictment only at the end to be like, well, even though I just gave a perfectly good argument about why Hillary Clinton should be thrown in jail, we're not gonna charge her because, well, you know, nothing to do with Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch meeting on that tarmac, obviously, obviously not. So this story was devastating. Lynch did not recuse herself. This polluted the idea that this was a, a fair investigation, that Bill Clinton wouldn't have influenced the outcome of that, even by the way, even entertaining the ridiculous notion coming from Bill Clinton that all they talked about was their grandchildren, it still personally pollutes the idea of this being fair because that personal aspect, that relational aspect does make a difference in how you handle something, whether or not you're gonna charge someone, okay? They both claimed they didn't talk about it, but who cares? It doesn't matter. So Christopher Sign, he reported on this meeting and then afterward, he said that there was more to the story. He wrote an entire book about it. It was called Secret on the Tarmac. And this is the description of the book. The book details everything that they don't want you to know and everything they think you forgot. But Bill Clinton was on that plane for 20 minutes and it wasn't just the conversation, it wasn't just about golf, grandkids, and Brexit. 
That was from Christopher Stein himself. He said there's so much that doesn't add up. Okay, so after he, after he published that book, I think he published the book in 2019, he said that he received death threats against his family. He said numerous death threats, not just against himself, but against his entire family. This is a quote. My family received significant death threats shortly after breaking the story. Credit cards hacked. You know, my children, we have code words. They had to make code words for his kids to help keep them safe so that they would know what to do. And now he commits suicide. Does that make anybody else scratch their head? I'm not trying to be conspiratorial here. But is that suicide or is it called being suicided? Someone on Twitter, I thought this was really witty, someone on Twitter called it Arkansided. It's kind of like Jeffrey Epstein's suicide. This was devastating to Hillary Clinton. This might have even been the single event that could have tipped the election away from her. And then he commits suicide. I don't know. It, it seems really strange to me, really fishy to me. Pray for the guy. Pray for his wife. Pray for his kids. Very suspicious. Okay, speaking of things that are opposite of suspicious, speaking of the truth, do you know whose voice I hear on a daily basis in my house right now? Spencer Clavin. Good thing he's my friend. My husband is addicted to Spencer's podcast, Young Heretics. And I mean, it's really interesting. I find myself, I'll be doing something else and hear my husband listening to it and I'll kind of like come towards it. It draws me in. It draws me in. So my husband is um, working his way back. He's a latecomer to the party of Young Heretics, which is Spencer's podcast, but he's working his way back through the episodes and it's pretty interesting. There's over 50 episodes already. Um, it sparked a lot of conversations in our household. So I really encourage you to go to youngheretics.com and check it out. Young Heretics with Spencer Clavin. Obviously you can find it wherever you get your podcasts, but um, all the information is on youngheretics.com. Spencer's voice in and of itself is um, a delight to hear. It's rich and melodious. His vocabulary is impressive. And it's very interesting. I'm not sure that there's anybody else besides Spencer who's um, taking philosophy and ancient philosophy and applying that to the modern world the way that he is. It's fascinating. Young Heretics is also produced by Soundfront, the same guys who produce my podcast. They also produce Verdict with Ted Cruz. We're just one big happy family around here. Um, that's not the point, though. The point is, please subscribe to Young Heretics at youngheretics.com and tell Spencer I sent you youngheretics.com. And of course, hello to Spencer. Okay, next story, really interesting. Um, and it, it completely debunks a leftist talking point. So I think you all should know about it. The Harvard Business Review um, highlighted a study of exactly how minimum wage hikes, you know, the fight for 15 crap that the Democrats are always talking about, impacts workers. And we're not just talking about um, leading to layoffs because employers can't afford to pay the higher wage and so they have to they have to lay off employers. It's not just that. That does happen. But according to this study, it also results, minimum wage hikes also result in lower compensation overall for minimum wage workers because of hours docked and therefore fewer benefits. This is what I mean. So it's not just workers losing their jobs. It's it's worse than that. Okay, this is this is what they found. They said specifically we looked at worker schedule and wage data from 2015 to 2018 for more than 5,000 employees at 45 stores in California where the minimum wage was $9 in 2015 and has increased every year since. They also looked at 17 stores in Texas where the minimum wage was $7.25 for the duration of our study. Okay, so really interesting because what they found is they found that there was no change in the overall number of hours worked at a store. Okay, so the cumulative amount of time that workers were staffing the stores, that did not change. But what did change is the number of hours worked by each individual worker. Okay, this is what they found. Quote, for every $1 increase in the minimum wage, we found that the total number of workers scheduled to work each week 
increased by 27.7%. While the average number of hours each worker worked per week decreased by 20.8%. For an average store in California, they said, these changes translated into four extra workers per week and five fewer hours per worker per week, which meant that the total wage compensation of an average minimum wage worker in a California store actually fell by 13.6%, end quote. So how does that happen? Well, not only are, you, are these workers working fewer hours, what was it, four or five fewer hours, they're also earning fewer benefits because obviously if you work fewer than 30 hours, you might not be eligible for benefits. This is what they found. We found that for every $1 increase in minimum wage, the percentage of workers working more than 20 hours per week, making them eligible for retirement benefits, decreased by 23%. So they say our research suggests that as minimum wage increases, firms may strategically adjust their scheduling practices to reduce the number of workers eligible for benefits. Okay, they say our estimates suggest that the average store in California data set recouped approximately 27.5% of the increase in its wage costs through savings associated with reducing benefits. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, this explains why leftists who always point out that there's no huge unemployment uh, spike that happens after hiking minimum wage. There is usually a small unemployment hike, which would correlate to conservatives saying, well, businesses can't afford the increase in minimum wage so that they let people go. It's not a huge leap. There's a marginal a marginal uh, increase in unemployment, but not a huge one. But this explains why leftists, who like to point out that it's not a huge leap, how they're deliberately missing the point. Because who, who are minimum wage hikes supposed to help, right? They're supposed to help the workers. But what happens to the workers? Well, according to this study, workers work fewer hours, and therefore they're ineligible for benefits. So overall, the, the cumulative amount of money that they make, including benefits, is less. So, I mean, th this doesn't surprise those of us who are familiar with what minimum wage does. What it does do is it creates impetus for us to challenge the left, challenge our politicians who are pushing these minimum wage and say, well, wait a second, if this is what the data shows, if it shows that minimum wage workers actually bring home less for every dollar minimum wage is increased, then why are you doing this? Who is this supposed to help? I would Anybody who, who talks to their elected representatives, whether this is local, state, or federal, and asks that question, let me know what they say. I, I'm genuinely curious about how they would answer this because I don't think that there's, I don't think there's a good answer. I know there's not, but I wanna get them on record with what they would say because it's dishonesty. It's redistribution of wealth. It's radical leftism. We ought to reject it. And I want to hear why they won't reject it. Okay, speaking of radical leftism, uh, MSNBC's resident nutcase. This is, this is such a crazy story. This woman is absolutely insane. Joy Reid is who I'm talking about. You're familiar with her, I'm sure. She says that without critical race theory, public schools teach that slavery wasn't so bad. Okay. Mark Lamont Hill, we've talked about him on the show. He was the one who asked Chris Rufo, what do you like about being white? Chris, or Mark Lamont Hill says that people who criticize critical race theory probably aren't educated about it. He's, a, he's insinuating that they haven't read anything about it. This is what Joy Reid tweeted, okay? And I'm, I'm gonna respond to this as we go. She said, open question to those who are afraid of critical race theory, which is not being taught in K-12 schools. It's a course offering in law schools, but you are clearly conflating it with a 1619 project. What do you want taught about US slavery and racism? Nothing or what? Okay, so much to respond to there. So 
first of all, critical race theory is being taught in K-12 schools. She's talking about critical legal studies when she's talking about law school. Critical race theory is sort of the child of critical legal studies. It's the idea that everyone should be viewed through the prism of race and that you are inherently uh, divided into a group either oppressed or an oppressor. This is obviously being taught to our children. There's, there's dozens, more than dozens, hundreds of examples of this. So A, she's ignorant about whether it's being taught. B, she's ignorant about what it is. She can't even define what it is because it's not just a course in law schools. So based on this ignorant premise, she says, what do you want taught about US slavery and racism? Nothing or what? So that's a false choice, as if those are just the two options, that binary option, revisionist history and lies in the 1619 project or nothing. No, teach history. Just tell what happened, show what happened. If we don't teach children the lessons of the past, the mistakes and the triumphs, then they're doomed to repeat it. So why would we distort that? Why wouldn't we just teach them what happened? Not through the prism of anything, just the facts, what happened? It's funny because people like Joy Reid, not only are they ignorant of the history of critical race theory, but they can't define it. They always act like it's just a perspective on history. That's not what it is. We did an entire episode showing that critical race theory is the grandchild of critical theory, which is a Marxist tool. It's intended to spark a Marxist revolution. But Joy Reid's not done. She said, currently most K-12 students already learn a kind of Confederate race theory, whereby the daughters of the Confederacy long ago imposed a version of history wherein slavery was not so bad and had nothing to do with the Civil War and lynchings and violence never happened. End quote. Where did you go to school? Or better yet, please name one public school that teaches that slavery wasn't so bad. You name me one school that teaches that. One school that that's part of their official curriculum because good God, I will stand next to you and decry that and make sure that it's not taught. One school, be specific. Name, state, location. Classroom, curriculum approved. One school, I challenge you. I don't think that you can name one because I don't think that that's true. I think you're lying. See, it's the Democrats who ignore the history of gun rights, for example, being used by black Americans in the Jim Crow era in the South to defend themselves. Remember the story Condoleezza Rice told? It's Democrats who ignore perspectives on history when it doesn't suit the current Democrat political agenda. Joy Reid's not done. She says, is this about continuing to teach Confederate race theory and continuing to admit things, omit things, like the founders owning slaves or the facts about the mass extermination of the indigenous? Are you insisting that those things continue to be omitted? If so, why? Again, what school are you talking about or what school did you go to that didn't teach that the founders owned slaves? Everybody learns that. What school are you talking about that doesn't teach the facts about what happened to the native peoples here? So I, I, in fact, most schools teach revisionist history when it comes to what happened to the native peoples. The truth is they died mostly of diseases. They also enslaved each other and killed each other. And yes, they were abused by white colonists too. To my knowledge, no school curriculum attempts to whitewash that. But what school are you talking about? What school did you go to that didn't teach that the founders owned slaves? I've never heard of a school teaching that. You're making that up. She goes, or is it about adding more empty praise to the teaching of history and completing the sanitation of history that already is the case? If so, why? How does this make children smarter? And don't you think kids will eventually find out the facts anyway? Would love a response, she said. Okay, well, here's my response. Joy, you're completely delusional here. And whatever school educated you should be ashamed. This is what you should have been taught. 
Okay, you should have been taught, and this is what we should teach children. This is what I was taught. I was homeschooled, this is what I was taught. The history of slavery. The history of our country. In regards to slavery, we were taught a detailed history of the Underground Railroad and about slave catchers and the abuse and the inhumanity of it. We were taught about Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil War and those who fought and died for the Union. We were taught about Frederick Douglass. Actually, this is a, this is a side note. Why don't liberals push for Frederick Douglass's biography to be an integral part of the history of slavery in the public school system. This man was a slave. He was abused. He witnessed horrific abuses. If you read his biography, it'll make you sick, the stuff that he describes, the abuse that happens. He's a brilliant author. He has the capacity to capture that humanity and the inhumanity in a way that'll scar you to your soul. This is what we should be teaching children. And then Frederick Douglass escaped slavery. He became a free man. He taught himself to read. He taught other black people to read. He broke free of those bonds and he was successful in our country. Frederick Douglass is an example of what makes our nation phenomenal because he came from this horrific place and then he had the opportunity to have an impact on the history and the future of our country. Why don't we teach that? Why doesn't Joy Reid want that taught? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Frederick Douglass thought that the Constitution was an anti-slavery document. And that doesn't fit the current Democrat narrative. Of course children should be taught that the founders owned slaves. Man is fallen. Our founders were fallen men, right? That doesn't mean that everything that they said and everything that they did is illegitimate. Okay, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves and that's wrong. There's no moral justification ever for owning slaves. Thomas Jefferson also, simultaneously contradicting that, tried to abolish slavery in the Declaration of Independence. It didn't remain in the Declaration because Southern slaves insisted that slavery stay, but because of the hypocritical founders, it was because of them that slavery was abolished within 100 years in our country. Because it's not the institutions themselves that sinned, it's man, man sins. Our founding principles always contradicted the idea of slavery. And they have been at different times in our nation badly and imperf imperfectly applied. And that's what happens every time there's been abuse in our country. They were imperfectly and badly applied. Not that the institutions themselves were illegitimate. In our country, we course correct when there's something wrong. It's what makes our nation great. That's what kids should be taught. Joy Reid, I'd love to hear your response to my response to you. Okay, while we're on the topic of critical race theory, Mark Lamont Hill, um, essentially claims that anybody who is in opposition to critical race theory isn't educated about it. And as proof, he um, grilled a young person, a child essentially, who cannot decide if he's conservative or if he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. I'm talking about CJ Pearson, um, who is rose to fame. And everyone knows, by the way, my views on putting children on a political pedestal. I don't think that we should do that. I think children should be educated. They should read as much as they, sh they can. They should learn as much as they can. They absolutely should take part in our debate, but we should not turn them into any kind of idols or put them on pedestals because when we do, this is what happens. First, he's a conservative wonder kid. Then he decides he wants to vote for Bernie Sanders. Now again, he's, you know, taking the conservative position. Okay, great, de tough debate there, Mark, right? Really tough opposition. Take a listen. Can you name one critical race theory 
article or book? Just one. You don't have to describe it. You don't have to summarize. Can you just name one? Just one. Isn't the 1619 Project critical race theory? No, it's not actually. It's absolutely not. But you so cited you another it as chance. one. You cited it as one. You cited no, no. it as one. I, 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 actually, I, Hold on, pause. What I know, what I said was, was that the <laughs> Florida legislature did. mentioned both you, critical race theory. No, no, let me, let me, let me. No, no. When you when you rewind this video, you'll see that that's not the case. What I actually said was that 1619 project and critical race theory were things named by the legislature. Critical race theory is not does not include um, the 1619 project. So let's take that off the table. Can you name one critical race theory article, text, or author? Can you just name one that exists? I'm not asking you to describe it. I'm not asking you to define it. I'm not asking you to analyze it. Can you just name one that exists? Okay, well, you describe the author of the 1619 project as a critical race theory. So again, uh, my answer is that I did not. I did, I, I, I did not. Okay. You asked I, it me is if not. I can name a critical okay, race it, theorist. I said can it you name one? A particular scholar. I'm answering your question. You said it wasn't Can a you name one? scholar. You, I, you said it wasn't. I, <laughs> you don't know. You, asked you can't me, name one. Okay, so this caused critical race theory to trend on Twitter. Mark Lamont Hill claiming that people who oppose it aren't educated because C.J. Pearson couldn't list anything besides the 1619 Project um, when he was asked what he read about critical race theory. The reality of critical race theory, we've talked about it before, trace it all the way back to its roots, it's racialism, used to start a Marxist revolution, and the architects of critical race theory admit it. Here's my question for Mark Lamont Hill. Who is the architect of critical race theory, and what's its goal? That's all. Answer that question. That's the answer that I want. Okay, meanwhile, across the country, states and localities are banning critical race theory from being taught in school because it's racism and it's Marxism. There are some conservatives, David French among them, who says that you shouldn't ban ideas, you can't ban ideas, he said. It's a First Amendment violation. So here's my quick response to that. Of course you should ban evil. You should ban delusion from being taught as fact to children in public school. Especially because we currently, our government forces children to attend school, right? So you can't force someone to attend school and then teach them delusion without having parents having the power to say, no, we don't want them to be taught evil. We don't want them taught delusion as fact, right? So imagine, for example, if school curricula taught that two plus two equal five. Don't you think that we should ban that? That shouldn't be taught to our children. What if a school curricula taught that black people are bad? Should we not ban that from being taught? Or should we indoctrinate our children with evil? What if a school curricula taught that pedophilia is normal? That's delusional, it's evil. Don't you think we should ban that from being taught? Of course we should, because this is not a free speech issue at the core. You can say that crap, you're free to. But you can't use tax money to fund indoctrinating kids with it. And if you do, then state legislatures can ban you from teaching it. That's exactly the kind of check and balance that we should have. We should also have school choice so that individual schools with bad curriculum are held accountable and they lose funding if they try to indoctrinate and brainwash kids with gross stuff. Okay, so that's my response. If you're looking for the constitutional justification for state legislatures banning critical race theory, then go on Twitter and check out my friend Josh Hammer's legal breakdown. Um, it's really good, Josh Hammer on Twitter. Okay, I couldn't do the show today without talking about this story. This is the creepiest story on the web that I've seen today. Um, this is, uh, as Axios reported, New York City will harness data from thousands of internet-connected smart thermometers to identify future outbreak days or even weeks before case numbers of a particular virus start rising. Okay, so this company is going to hand out smart thermometers to people in New York, and the thermometers are going to automatically transmit temperature data back to the company to predict when um, there's going to be an outbreak of some illness. Okay, 
So not only are you going to have this thermometer given to you by it, the startup's called Kinza, I think. Um, you take your temperature with this free thermometer that they give you. It transmits the temperature to the app. Then you're also quizzed about symptoms that you might have had in the past few days and then given guidance on what you should do next. Of course, this is not just a private endeavor. City health officials, don't you just love them? City health officials will have access to the aggregated data. They claim it's anonymous, but do you believe it? Do you? Because I don't. Um, we'll have access to this data so that they can, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, do we really want the city health officials knowing what's happening? Do we really think that they know how to handle it after this year of COVID? Do we trust them with our data? No. This is, this is I mean, it's just creepy, right? What's next? Tracking women's fertility based on basal body temperature from these thermometers? Tracking our vegetable intake to predict the obesity crisis that everybody ignores in our country? No. This is so creepy. Stop being a surveillance state. Stop being big brother government. Stop being a creep. Okay, we have more stories to cover, more important things to talk about, but we are out of time for today. Tune in tomorrow for more of this analysis. In the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought, not critical theory. Question authority. Follow the facts and do not let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and download the episodes. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. It really does help us move up the charts when you hit that subscribe button, which helps more people discover the show, which helps more people hear reality. And I appreciate it. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Stephen Reyes. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Assistant editor, Tommy Weber. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. And production assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production. 